welcome to The Raw Roast, where we have real conversations about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Ben, and I'm uh, one of your hosts for the podcast, and I'm here this morning with uh, Pastor Tucker, and also we've got a guest on this morning, and it's uh, actually my dad, uh, Steve Tyvel. He's an LPC, a licensed professional counselor, and we're just excited to have conversation today and kind of dive into a topic that I think is is pretty relevant uh, to it's gonna. I, I'm thinking it's gonna be relevant to most of our listeners. I know it is to me, and Tucker, I know it is to you as well. So mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna be talking about uh, just anxiety and and depression, just and and just mental health in general in in life uh, as we walk through life and relationship and, uh, you know, as Jesus followers, how do we, how do we navigate, you know, our, our mental health? And so we'll get into that. Um, and, you know, obviously we've brought my dad on to the podcast just to kind of speak from a, a place of, you know, living a lot of years. Um, <laughs> I'm not, not trying to call you old, but you're older than both of us <laughs> with a lot of, a lot of, good, a lot of good experience and a lot of wisdom and, and frankly, just a lot of years of, of, uh, walking through really difficult times with a lot of different people in a clinical setting. So I, and I, I don't know how, how many years have you been doing therapy? Oh, probably all started back in 1985, whatever that works out. Nineteen eighty-five. Okay, yeah, that was a while ago. Uh, so, but yeah, Dad, maybe we can start the conversation. Just if, if you want to talk a little bit about your journey, you know how you moved to that place or, or got to the place where you uh, started pursuing, um, you know, a career in counseling, but then also um, just your yeah the progression there and what it has looked like over the last. T- 20 plus years uh, along the way. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on guys. Um, Yeah. My story is kind of being a late starter. Um, I didn't return to graduate school until I was 30. So there was a period of time in there where I got to uh, try several other different kinds of jobs. Um, Graduated with a degree in math in 1976, you know, that's a, that's a lot of history there, but uh, I did return to graduate school in 1983. Um, I ended up going to Denver seminary. My original intention was to be a pastor. And my first year there, I took some counseling classes and that's really what started to spike my interest. You know, it was just one of those things where I really like this. This is just, this seems to fit. And so I actually switched my degree from MDiv to a master's in counseling. And uh, yeah, so that sort of, that's where that all started for me. Uh, finished that degree in 1986. And interestingly enough, my first job was as a pastor. <laughs> so I was hired as a pastor at a small uh, evangelical free church over in Wisconsin. And uh, spent four years working as um, a youth pastor and a Christian education pastor and doing some therapy also with uh, church members. 
Um, then in <clears throat> 1990, I left the ministry and decided I wanted to go into therapy full time. And that's when I started my own clinic. Um, and I spent four or five years just practicing on my own <clears throat> before I joined up with a local um, mental health team, mental health clinic in a nearby town. And uh, yeah, since then, I've been pretty much full time in mental health. Okay. Well, I was doing the math. You said 1990. I, I said 20 plus years, but you're actually in the 30 the 30 year range of having, you know, been in a, in a place of caring for people and counseling. Uh, and it's weird how, how time is different when it's your own, like when it's your own people. Do you, I don't yeah. know if you have that experience. Tucker, well, I was but born in 1989. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you were, you were just a wee little lad yes. when, <laughs> when he started, uh, full, full time into counseling. Uh, it, well, and I was too, you're right. I was only, I was only 10 years old at that time or nine. Uh, well, again, the last 30 years, um, what have you seen, uh, you know, in, in all the different people that you've kind of been connecting with as, as you look at where you've seen, um, you know, kind of the movement or the trajectory of just society in general, as you have been working with people over the years, have you seen any kind of shifts or movements uh, just, uh, you know, as, as a society and, and as a whole, when it comes to just mental health, you know, th things like anxiety and depression, like, would you mark or say, yeah, there's, there have been some shifts and here, here is some of what that looks like, or just from your experience, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, the first thought that comes to mind is actually something that I've been commenting on quite a bit lately. Um, with peers and even with some clients, it feels like in the last five years, <laughs> things have just really become more difficult. Now, obviously, um, issues like anxiety and depression and other mental health concerns are, they've always been difficult for people that they're, um, their struggles. Um, but in the last five years, a couple of things, one of the things is that it, things have just seemed to, um, grow in numbers and, and in magnitude, you know, of, of a intensity of, of it. And I, you know, I'm not sure why, but I think it obviously has something to do with, with where we're at in the world right now and what's been going on. And especially in the last three years, maybe, um, uh, by just seeing a lot, a lot, well, more anxiety, more depression and, and for me, a lot more concern for young people. Hmm. Now, I don't see children, but I start seeing um, teenagers, you know, 13, 14 and older. Mm -hmm. So I'm commenting mostly about that age and, and then younger people in their 20s. Um, just really seeing a lot more of that anxiety and depression and sense of like uh, hopelessness and uncertainty of the future um where are we heading where are we going you know do i have a future and really it's i hear it a lot and it's concerning hmm. what are some of the maybe <clears throat> most common causes that you see for anxiety maybe in young younger people in particular um 
that you would say leads to that perhaps hopelessness that they don't see a, a positive future for themselves? Yeah, you know, it's pretty much just what's going on. It has to do with um, wherever you stand on the whole climate change issue, for example. Mm-hmm. And I know people are on, in all different places with that. But it's interesting that a lot of the young people I talk to take that really seriously. Um, also, they look at the political system and what's going on there. They 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 even can see some of the economic things going on. Um, there's a lot of confusion. They're getting a lot of mixed messages. You know, there's a lot of gender issues and confusion going on. And uh, I mean, it's not surprising, is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that there would be that there would be a lot of concern and anxiety for young people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it affects us too as adults, obviously. Right. Yeah. Well, along with that, is there so pointing to some of those those bigger issues, right? Like the the political system and, and the, the environment, like a lot of these things that could kind of, you know, maybe it's eroding a sense of is what is tomorrow going to look like for me, you know, or, or hope for some kind of future. Are there other, what are some of the other things that kind of uh, are, are a part of the mixed bag, so to speak, uh, when, when it comes to somebody really struggling with anxiety and or depression? Are you for young people or just in general? Just in general, yeah. Well, you know, that can just be any number of things. I mean, you know, they're certainly just um, situational anxiety, people who are going through difficult times. Um, I mean, and that's that's pretty normal. Everybody has some level of anxiety at one time or another simply based on you know, what's happening, what's going on in their lives. Um, and then, you know, I mean... General anxiety is is one of the diagnostic areas with anxiety, and that just has to do with people worrying about so many different things. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what adds to that is the complexity of life. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are, we just recently moved, and I'm blown away by all that's involved in the moving process. You know, and that generated anxiety for my wife and I. Yeah. yeah, we're just we're just starting now. Four weeks in our new place to settle down a little bit and, yeah. and adjust. Um, but you know, just the way society is with all the information and and people being so busy and all the things going on and run, it seems like they're running in twenty different directions at once. Um, all of that stuff just adds to that general sense of anxiety. But then there are other kinds of anxiety too that there aren't necessarily causes being like people will come in and say i don't know why i'm I'm just anxious like my life is fine but you know i'm just having all the anxiety right now well and what does that look like like how does it you know again i for some people listening this is going to be that you know they're going to have their own personal experience of this so they're they're, they'd have their own list of how this actually shows up in their life but if let's say somebody didn't really have any any kind of understanding around well what what does anxiety actually look like what would what would you say to those folks so again by the time they well if they're showing up in your office and you're having conversation with them there's certain things that you're seeing or looking for or watching or hearing them say that are helping you you know kind of well not necessarily diagnose but to be thinking okay yep that there's anxiety or there's anxiety sure. 
Well, you know, maybe recently, if you've been to the doctor, sometimes they will hand you a form to fill out, mm -hmm. um, right? Where you have these questions yeah. about how you're dealing with your mental health, you know? So there's this, it's called a PHQ-9, which is a per personal health questionnaire. There's nine questions. And basically those are the nine di diagnostic criteria for depression. Okay. And then there's the GAD-7, which is general anxiety disorder, seven questions. And those are the seven diagnostic criteria for anxiety. So that you just do a self-rating about how, how you're doing in those areas of, you know, fe feeling irritable or being tired or not being motivated or, you know, all these different areas. And okay. so, so that helps us a lot of times when people come in and they fill those out, starts to give us a sense, you know, for yeah. what, what's going on. Yeah. Do we have, how do you think, is there a difference in the way that um, we can approach anxiety as Christ followers? And what does that look like when we compare perhaps our approach as Christ followers to more of the general culture around us? So I do get to see a variety of people, obviously. Um, a lot of people I get to talk to are necessarily believers or followers of Christ. Um, but I do, I do, even in a secular setting, get the opportunity to address that from time to time because people are interested. It's interesting to note that sometimes people are even surprised that they can talk about spiritual things. They're like, I didn't think I was supposed to talk about God when I came to counseling. I said, no, it's fine. That's part of who you are. Um, but I, I think that, you know, I got to go to a seminary where I was able to um, – study psychology and theology at the same time. So you know, there was an integrative influence there, which I really appreciated and was, was helpful. Even, even as a Christ follower, I, I believe it's important to understand some of the, you know, psychological components, like, or the physical components even, to depression and anxiety, you know, because that can be helpful. I mean, um, if there's truth in that, that can be helpful when God is the author of all truth, mm -hmm. I believe. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, out of the Bible, so to speak. But a lot of even Christians can get help just from understanding, like, for instance, what is happening to me physiologically when when this anxiety gets a hold of me? Mm. You know, and so I I've oftentimes have opportunity to explain that to people. But um, I mean, I could go on and on, but I don't want to take too much time, but I like the trichotomous view of people. So like we have a body, soul, spirit, and, and to be healthy, we need to be healthy in each area. And the soul is the part that consists of our mind and our will and our emotions. Um, and our spirit, the, part, the spiritual part of a person, obviously, is that as a Christian, that's the part that connects with God and is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and where God resides. So it's, that's at like the center or the core. And so that's where truth can emanate from. But but the soul part, you know, um, our mind and our will and our emotions. So how we think, you know, what are our core beliefs? What are these, what are these beliefs that we have in us that, that um, react to certain things that happen in our lives that are giving us these messages all the time. You know, and that's, that's very much a scriptural thing where, um, you know, in Romans we're told to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, you know? So there's this idea that the word and, and uh, 
scripture, scripture and Christian teaching and, you know, what does Jesus have to say about these things are very important for us as we grow in Christ, that our minds are being transformed into that truth and that the things that we've learned, you know, that are lies and are not true, that can feed into depression or anxiety are being um, healed and, and replaced. Um, and then staying physically healthy, behaving ourselves, not, you know, <laughs> not allowing ourselves to get into places where we shouldn't that can actually create more depression or more anxiety for us. Um, one of the things with, so like focusing on anxiety, one of the things I found that seems to be helpful to people is just understanding physiologically what's going on. You know, for instance, um, we, we have like a fear response. We have a, we have a survival response in us as people. So that if we're, if we're confronted by fear, our nervous system has a, has a reaction to that. You know, like we talk about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. Well, the sympathetic part of the nervous system is the part that reacts to fear. I tell people, if you're walking in the woods, you see a bear, you know, all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, you know, you're going to have that like, and that's your sympathetic nervous system that is kicking in and it releases all these chemicals that increase your heart rate and your blood pressure and they um, make you more sensory alert and your, and your muscles are more. So, and then the bear turns around and runs away. And then you're like, oh, you know, you have, <laughs> you have that sense of relief. And that's when the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and starts to calm you down. Now, the difference is, is that the sympathetic kicks in in about less than a second. But the parasympathetic takes time because it's really allowing time for all of this chemical reaction physiologically to sort of like cleanse its way out. And so I tell people the difference between fear and anxiety is fear is I'm in the woods and I see the bear. Anxiety is I'm laying in my bed at night perfectly safe thinking about seeing a bear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But my, my, physiology, my physiology will react the same way. So I'll get this surge in my bed, but the bear never runs away. So, so I'll lay there all night long with feeling worked up and just, you know, uh, physiologically aroused because of this, these thoughts I'm having. One of the, that's really helpful. I, I appreciate that distinction. The, if I've, I probably would be classified with general anxiety disorder. Uh, I, the thing that I struggle with is just this, 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 uh, need for control. And so that's one of the areas that I've discovered that I, if I'm anxious about things that I have little control over, um, and so I try to do things in my life to, to maintain control over, you know, my house. Uh, so that, I, that's why I like all of this home automation stuff, because I can control essentially control my house from my iPad. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm assuming I'm not the only one who struggles with control. I don't know. You might be. I might be the only <laughs> one. <laughs> no, I don't think so. What would you say to someone like me that, you know, has that struggle? What, what, what are some practices that you could put in place to to help when control is one of the, the driving factors of anxiety? <laughs> you better watch out. You might have to, you might have to bill him yeah. for this time. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have no idea what to tell you. No, that's a great. That's a great question. Because <laughs> yeah. Tucker, right? You're not the only one. Obviously, control is a big, 
I mean, I mean that's a big issue for, for many of us. Yeah. So I, I love that question. What, what do we do about the control piece? Well, you know, and I do hear that a lot, that it is very common. I remember talking to someone years ago who was sitting in a chair and they were saying, I have all these things going on in my head and they just keep going round and round in my head and I do <laughs> and I don't know what to do. And I said, let them out. <laughs> I kind of like responded to their yeah. level that they were at. And, and they, they stopped and looked at me and said, what do you mean? And I said, well, let them out. They're, they're racing around in your head. Yeah. So let them out. He says, do you mean talk about them? And I said, yeah, I mean, talk about, them. you know, cause a lot of yeah. times the control thing stays in our head and it becomes a cycle of thought that uh, keeps going and going. Yeah. And sometimes it's helpful to be able to just sit down and, and talk about, you know, I, I, I'm struggling with this or, or I feel like I have to be in control of this or this will happen. And, you know, because there's a lot of, there's a strong emotional component behind anxiety. And if some of that can be processed and, and you know, released and, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's very biblical where it talks about, you know, that we're supposed to share with one another. We're supposed to share our burdens. Mm. You know, we're supposed to help each other carry those things and deal with those things. But I, I don't know about you guys, but I think oftentimes, you know, like it, in, in uh, well, in Christian settings, I don't, I don't know that that happens as much mm. as it should. You know, we, we, we kind of become islands onto ourselves and, yeah. and the expectation is like, we're all supposed to just like have these great lives and be okay, but we're not. Yeah. And we're struggling, you know, and we need to be able to have those times to just to unload and then to have people say, well, you know, I, I struggle with that too. You're not alone. Or, you know, um, I've tried this and it's helped me or just to maybe get prayer, you know, um, you know, things like that. So that's one thing that I talk to people about is, is don't keep it to yourself. That's good. Yeah. Sometimes that act of sharing, well, quite often that just act of sharing with somebody else and hearing them affirm that, that it's a similar struggle is I found that to be helpful um, Mm -hmm. personally. Yeah. It makes me think of, of James uh, in James five, when it talks about confess, you know, to one another confess and, and be healed. Like there's a direct connection between confession, this Mm -hmm. idea of, you know, confession of, of the mouth talking about what it is that's on the inside, you know, and I would oftentimes classify it as, as darkness or, or just areas inside of me that I, I have an awareness of, but maybe I don't, I don't really have a full understanding of, and there might be things that are, are keeping me locked in or that are, that are keeping me in some kind of unhealthy pattern or whatever it might be. So yeah, that regular experience of, of confessing and then giving the opportunity for, you know, the, the latter part of that verse is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So there's this assumption that prayer is going to be a part of that experience. So if I don't share, I don't get the opportunity to receive uh, prayer from my Christian brothers or sisters to, uh, to then, um, help with that very real part of my struggle. That is a spiritual, you know, there's a spiritual component to, to that struggle. Like you talked about before, there is a, you know, 
a reality of us being in process of having our minds transformed and the, and the need to, I think a part of that transformation really does come through that experience of, of confessing and being, being open and honest with people. So I love that. But I would say, you know, in the, in the church, historically, I would assume, you know, there, there is this, this balance that we have or this tightrope oftentimes that I think we walk where there is much truth in, in scripture about our, our identity, who we are in Christ and a part of how that is translated or how that is experienced is, is the reality that if God has taken up residence in me now, you know, the, the spirit has, is now living inside of me with that comes this certain expectation that, well, if I've, if I'm now a Jesus follower, they should have your life together. Yeah. Like things should kind of look differently, right? That so struggle, I think probably historically in the church is hard to find that balance of um, where and how can I be open and honest about what it is that's really going on inside of me. But then also at what point do we, and maybe this is, this is my question for you, dad is, I think because our culture is starting to really pivot, I think it's shifting toward being much more open to the idea of the fact that we can struggle with mental illness. You know, I think there's still movement that needs to be made in the church, stigma around that and things like that. But I think overall as a culture, we've, we've really pivoted and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but now it almost seems that at times it's, it can be to the other end of the spectrum where, if you're not struggling or if you, <laughs> I don't know, if you don't have anxiety or if you're not depressed, um, I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but like, how do we find the balance of there is truth about, uh, as a Jesus follower, I, there is a certain victory and progression that I think can and should happen in a person's life. So how do we, how do we navigate that, right? Being honest about the struggle, but yet also recognizing that, you know, in Christ, we are more than conquerors, you know, kind of truth that we cling to. I mean, I don't know know that that will ever go away. (laughs) Just as you describe it, I think, well, I think it's been like that for a long time. Um, I mean, historically, certain, certain, uh, there's a, degree of where, you know, certain mental health concerns almost become popular or they become trendy. Yeah. You know, I think that's what we I see that a lot say. With, We see that a lot with young people who, you know, they might get into cutting or, you know, doing some kind of behavior and they're posting it and showing pictures and it. You know, one years ago was eating disorders. And there's so certain things just kind of like ebb and flow with, they become popular and then, but, but in the church, I mean, you know, I think sometimes being a mental health therapist, I get a little tainted or whatever, but um, even a lot of the problems in the church sometimes come from mental illness struggles and, the, and they're not intentional. It's just, we just all have issues. We all have problems, Yeah. but sometimes, you know, they, they come from, um, 
Like, like if a person has a problem with insecurity, you know, that can end up becoming a relationship problem or a church-related problem. Yeah. And, and I think certainly uh, mental health disorders can be attention-seeking, you know, um, where, where someone will, they're getting a need met somehow by having an issue or having a struggle. But generally, as Christians, you know, like you said, we're in a process of growing, you know, and that includes um, growing intellectually. It includes, you know, um, intellectually as far as, you know, biblical knowledge and truth and understanding. But it's also an experiential thing. It's it's putting those truths into practice. Hmm. So with anxiety, you know, like, for instance, anxiety is so much fear based. Um, how much does the Bible talk about fear, for instance? Yeah, a lot. Well, there's, a, there's a lot in the Bible yeah. about fear, you yeah. know. It, one verse that stands out is, you know, there's no um, fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. You know, and now I wouldn't just quote that verse to somebody who has anxiety and say, well, you shouldn't have any anxiety because if you got Jesus in you, you have love. And you know what I mean? So you shouldn't yeah. have any. I wouldn't do that. But yet there's truth to that, you know, that if we have fear and it, and it becomes anxiety, then there has to be something to the fact that God is loving, God is caring, God is sustaining, he, God is capable, you know, he's all those things. And that can be of help to us, mm -hmm. okay? But that takes focus. It takes some work. You know, I always tell people if, when it comes to depression and anxiety, if you want to get better, you're going to have to be willing to work at it. It's not just going to fall in your lap, you know, the, mm. and a lot of it is, is cognitive. A lot of it is, is the mental, but a lot of it is also behavioral, mm. you know, and, and yeah. And doing those kinds of things that, that the Bible teaches or gives us the truth, but it's how we, you know, it's how we take it in and acclimate it and, and act on it and, and live our lives according to it and practice it. Yeah, you know. that's good. Ducker, you were just sharing with me, you're working on a blog post that's connected to this topic and you were sharing with me kind of yeah. the, the passage that you were going to. Uh, I wonder if you want to share a little bit about that because you had a nice, like you had th three different things that you kind of felt like Jesus was saying out of the passage that really connects well with yeah. what really my dad details. was just saying. Yeah. Well, I was looking at Matthew 6, uh, and in verse 24, and that's where Jesus says he can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And he says you can't serve God and money. And I think of how often we try to use money or possessions to, to fix our problems. To control. To control. <laughs> and I mean, ultimately, it comes down to control. And then verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink. Worry about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he goes into using some illustrations about the lilies of the field, um, the birds of the air. And then at the end, he says, seek first the kingdom or God's rule. And so I, I, I think it, we could probably boil that passage down to God's, uh, God's nearness, um, his sovereignty, his control over all things, and then his goodness. And... So it's been helpful for me anyways to reflect on those three things that that God is is near, he's not just near, he's sovereign, and he's not just near and sovereign, but he's also good. 
And so that's been helpful for me to think through those three things as a way of addressing my own anxiety and control struggles. That's good. I might just add, if I'm having a thought in in the sense that, you know, I believe that there can also be like a a genetic or biological component to people struggling with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I know, I know there are different thoughts uh, around the whole area of medication and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I do work in a hospital setting and we have medication providers here. So it's a very common thing, you know, that I, I work in conjunction with them. Um, but there, there, I believe that there are really times when um, a lot of people's anxiety is just coming at, from some sort of chemical imbalance or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in their brain. And um, if, if you want to say that that can be like the result of the fall or, you know, whatever yeah. that. Yeah. There are certain areas that we're going to struggle with. And I believe that that can be one of them. So I think sometimes people end up feeling ashamed. Hmm you know, that they can't get over it or they can't, you know, they have all the scripture and they have all the help, but yet they can't. And so this is my personal opinion. I do believe that there are times when having a consultation, you know, with a psychiatrist or someone and trying some form of medication may be helpful. Okay. And and again, I say that knowing there's a lot of different opinions about uh, psychotropic medications, but uh, I think it can be beneficial at times. I think I think that's good to hear. Uh, there's somebody listening who who I think needs to hear that, yeah. and uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. Well, this uh, the the one thought I was having as you guys were sharing, and dead back to where you were kind of talking about. I mean, I'll I'll use the term the discipling of of our minds, but you know the reality that a big part of the work around this is cognitive. You know, it's it's challenging thought patterns and working to replace those with new ones. And, but that there's also a deep behavioral component to this as well, that we, we can't just, we can't just learn that there has to be a practice of this when it comes to the overcoming of anxiety and boy, the the amazing parallels, (laughs) you know, and I think really then also like the simplicity of for as complex as life is, it does really kind of boil down to, uh, and I'm going to do my best to boil this into um, when we talk about discipleship, right? The what are the the main things that Jesus calls us to do, and what does what does that look like? And part of how we've started to define that, or you know, again, there's all kinds of different ways that uh, that it's discipleship is talked about, but we've come to this place of understanding following Jesus as a combination of the head and the heart and the hands and that there, there has to be a, it's a, you know, Jesus asks for our whole person, right? He doesn't ask just for our heads in making a decision. Yes, I'm going to follow you. He says, no, I, I want all of you. I, I want your, your heart. Uh, I, I want you to, your character. I want you to become more like me. And I also want your feet, your hands. I, you know, it's, it's about practicing it. It's about behavior. It's about, um, becoming more like Jesus in the way that we live. And for sure, it's certainly about our heads as well, but believing what is true about who God is and who we are. So um, I love that there is, you know, so when we 
talk, have a conversation about discipleship, at the same time, we could also be addressing these kinds of topics like, you know, anxiety, depression, uh, grief and loss, you know, all, I mean, really we're talking about life and the difficulty and the complexity of life. And what does it look like to follow Jesus in the midst of that? And so I just appreciate your insight. I appreciate your wisdom around this. Uh, I trust that, um, you know, those that are listening, that, uh, that this has been uh, helpful for you today, even if it's just a springboard or, a, you know, is, is going to nudge you in a direction to maybe to get help or to talk to somebody about what you've been struggling with, um, or hopefully just to, to release some kind of burden from you, some kind of expectation that you feel like you've got to have it all together and have all of the answers. Um, but just to know that the Christian life is about connecting with others. It is about confessional living. So living openly and being willing to share what is going on mm-hmm. on the inside of us so that we can find it, find a direction, you know, and that we can get access to the healing that comes through that process. Um, so dad, thank you for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you, Steve. You've been a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say, I really appreciate you guys too. And, and the work that you do as, you know, ministers of the gospel and just uh, serving people in the church and your hearts for that. I really appreciate that. Thanks, thank Dad. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for listening today. If you'd like more information about Calvary Church, visit us at calvarychurch.us. You can also check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. So until next time, I want to encourage you to live a life of love for God and neighbor.